Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode... A plethora of pain, we will explore one of the most important pieces of technology, the human body. As our society is shifting towards more stagnation due to an amassing amount of screen time, we have drifted away from some of the most essential elements of care for our bodies. Sadly, most of us live life in fluctuating levels of pain. We have resigned to this. But is there a better way? How can we adapt to a technologically forward lifestyle while still allowing our bodies to flourish? Can we simply prevent pain? To help examine the pursuit of lessening pain and living an active and flexible life, The Gateway is proud to welcome Vinny, founder of Pain Academy, an online educational platform that helps people live a pain-free lifestyle. Vinny is a former Division I All-American athlete. And he sadly broke his back in his early 20s. And after years of learning how to rehab such a life-changing injury, he became a corrective exercise specialist and entrepreneur to help people move and feel better. To learn more about Vinny and how he can help, go to painacademy.net and get started with a pain assessment toolkit. Truly a revolutionary set of ideas and processes. Vinny, welcome to The Gateway. We are so happy to have you today. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I want to start, as always, at, at the beginning. And, and I feel like you come from... Uh, pain management and rehabilitation from a really personal perspective. Do you do you mind sharing kind of what brought you to where you are today with us? Yeah, it was a very personal perspective because I broke my back. So everything uh, that I learned was not primarily through textbook or academic studies. It was like, how do you just get through the day? How do you mm. how do you get off the ground and, and how do you feed yourself and clothe yourself and uh, be able to show up for a job when you can't even move? Uh, so so the school of pain was my first teacher. So it's a very personal perspective for sure. I'd say I'd say that's the least. So when you're when you're saying that stuff, what what was that rehab like? Like a, a broken back? I mean, that had to be absolutely life changing for, for you. What, how did that? begin what was that timeline like I, yeah. I can't even comprehend how you are where you are or how to even begin that yeah so uh I'll kind of take you right back to the start so this was about 13 years ago I was in my early 20s um I have 
been terrible at land sports, but I've always been good in the water. So I was a division one, uh, eight time all American collegiate swimmer, swam for the university of Wyoming for my first year of college. And the water was something I was, it was always a comfortable, uh, environment for me. Uh, but I couldn't swim up and down a pool any longer. It was just exhausting. It was just boring. It was, yeah. It's the only way to say it. it was boring. You can only stare at that black line so much. And I got really burnt out of swimming. And I figured I would try another sport that was kind of in the same lane and surfing, I think was like, just like that natural evolution, that, that natural next step. And I could paddle really well. I could get out to the waves really fast, but my surfing skills sucked. And (laughs) it was only a matter of a few waves where I paddled out on a day that was way bigger than I could actually handle surfing wise. Mm. And I was, this was over at Leo Creo, uh, just north of, uh, I'm sorry, just south of Malibu uh, County line. If you're familiar with where that mm-hmm. is, yeah. famous surf spot mm-hmm. and wiped out wave threw me against the rocks, the middle of my back, the T12 vertebrae hit that rock. And I, I literally just felt it fracture in that. I knew exactly what that break felt like um, multiple discs herniated. Due to the sheer force of the impact and trauma, the spine shifted 21 degrees laterally to the left. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about an immediate traumatic scoliosis development. Um, sensory nerve damage, sensory damage. I, I could still somewhat move my left leg, um, but it was numb. It almost felt like it just wasn't attached there. And I think that it was just the years and years I'd spent being comfortable in the water that I just reverted back to instincts of, I floated to the surface. I kind of just sculled my way, just moving my hands really slowly back to the beach and, um, spent the next half decade fumbling through physical therapy, trying to figure out how do I just survive, man? The rehab was, it was a, it was a really challenging process. I found a lot of things that didn't work. so, so here's where I bring, um, I, I think, an ignorant perspective within this stuff, and, and nothing to condemn, you know, medical practices or, or you know, standard procedures or things like that. But in that point, you're pretty much reliant on what professionals and and experts kind of say in there um and and so i'm very intrigued by what you you said when it's like well i found a lot of things not not work what can you give me a little bit more about that or where that was coming from because that had to be really frustrating yeah so there were there was obviously the traumatic acute injury right there was the broken back and what our medical system's great at doing is is handling and dealing with traumatic acute injuries. Mm. And I went through the protocols. I went through the physical therapy protocols of uh, trying to figure out, you know, what braces, what are the, what are the, the modalities needed to help recover from an injury like that? How do we treat the soft tissue around the break? How do we prevent motion to allow the bones to heal? I mean, there's great protocols in place for acute injuries, but where, the problem where the medical system failed and, and it just, it just does for longer chronic pain type injuries is there were two primary issues. There was the acute injury of me breaking my back. So that was problem. Number one Mm -hmm. problem. Number two was 
all of the ways that I had learned how to move to prevent excessive pain and pressure and stress and tension in that back, the me no longer being able to use my left leg, me putting all of the weight on my right leg to try to get me up every single flight of stairs, the odd, weird ways that I learned how to bend forward and put shoes on and clothes on and, and cook for yourself and clean the house. I mean, we're talking movement in general. The medical system was not treating that. It was mm. just treating the fracture and the herniated discs. So on one hand, I got some temporary help in aiding and healing from that acute injury, but I had a global problem developing. I had the left side and the right side of my body completely forget how to work together. I had healed, literally pitched over to the side. There was no such thing as alignment anymore. Wow. Once the fracture healed, once the herniations healed, the medical system said I was good to go, but I could still, I, I still couldn't bend forward. I still couldn't hold my kid or go on more than a five minute walk on paper in the MRIs. Everything was healed yet i was still in full disability and that's where that that acute that trauma system can only take you as far as what the damage is showing but once the damage heals that doesn't mean the problem's over and that's this is where a lot of people have acute injuries that turn into chronic problems mm. once chasing the symptoms in the area that hurts no longer is deemed medically necessary. What do guys like us do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where things really fell short. And I found a lot of things that, that just didn't help, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh, completely. And I feel like almost every person, whether they've experienced it themselves or witnessed someone with a, with a chronic ailment, um, that, that, that can be just as... Um, I don't know, just, just as painful watching it and experience it than actually the, the real pain. Cause you don't know what to do. And it, and it kind of seems like everyone's like, well, you're good, have a good day. And you're like, nothing's the same. And this is not, I'm just left on my own. So when you were kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, abandoned in that, where, where did you go? What did you do? Cause at that point I, I'm kind of tossing my hands up. Yeah. And, and the one thing I'll, I'll add on, on the, the medical system, you know, while we're um, on that mm -hmm. topic is, you know, obviously when I broke the back pain pills worked really well, that was a great solution in that moment. Yeah. Um, but research and science is studies are now showing that long-term opioid use, long-term pain prescription use, the brain actually adapts by growing more pain recept, uh, pain sensitive neurotransmitters, meaning the more, the longer you have these drugs in your system, the more sensitive you become to pain, your body's adapting to you trying to numb out pain signals. So this is where the short-term acute solutions do not serve people well long-term and actually fuel the chronic pain cycle. Um, so I, it took me a while to feel abandoned because oh. every time I went to a new place, they had the answer. A chiropractic had this answer. This mm -hmm. physical therapist had this answer. And it was just kind of getting strung along for years and years and years. And I, I got, um, I first became very resentful towards all of these people I was seeing because I was winding myself up in massive credit card debt, mm -hmm. still wasn't any closer to being able to hold a job and 
miserably in pain every single day. Um, nothing really changed until I really looked at my role in that. I, in my very young juvenile way, thought just paying people like, okay, I'm going to go buy this big package. You're going to take care of it, right? Mm -hmm. Just paying the massage therapist, just showing up for the appointments. That was it. I never looked at my involvement in, I didn't do anything outside of the appointments. I didn't do the exercises. I didn't ask for exercises. I didn't ask for how do I need to change my diet? How do I need to change sleep? What are the lifestyle changes that need to be made? They weren't being taught. And I sure as hell didn't even know to ask these things. So it wasn't until four or five years after getting out of the medical system, going from, and these people are all great. They can also mm -hmm. repurpose, but it just didn't work for me. Um, acupuncturists, massage therapists, uh, chiropractors, PTs, various forms of PTs. Um, it wasn't until really exhausting a lot of variations within those lanes that it, it, it just started to add up that this isn't the way to do it. Chasing this back pains, I'm asking the wrong questions. So I feel like in our world, back pain explicitly, or at least let me define that within the first world, more technologically advanced or kind of societies within that stuff, back pain and all that stuff is something that is almost accepted. You're like, yep, that's a thing. And it's where it is. So what questions did you start asking to try and kind of see things differently? And where did that that kind of start to flourish basically. Yeah. It, it actually flourished by universal chance. Okay. Got it. Okay. I like, that. I, I was so frustrated that I was relying on other people to help me that I moved in towards how do I become certified? Should I start off as a personal trainer? I, I want to learn about the body because I'm missing something here. Mm. Um, and so that's what led me down the road of becoming a personal trainer, trying to learn more information like that. And it wasn't until a member approached me in the gym. So here I was personal trainer trying to help people yet. Mm -hmm. I could barely even stand up. Yeah. This guy sees me and says, Hey, don't want to impose, but I've got a guy I want you to see. He hands me a business card and here I am thinking, Oh, great. And another thing, right? Yep. I, I wanted to say F off, but I was very polite. <laughs> I put the business card in my car and just forgot about it. Months later, I'm in a grocery store and I'm trying to grab a gallon of milk. And I mean, I'm wincing through it still in disability. And this guy approaches me and says, Hey, don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be too forward. I'd love to help you fix your knee. And I look at him like my knee, it's my back. I broke yeah. my back. You have no <laughs> yeah. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and I laughed and he handed me his card. And it was the same guy that the, the same business card that the other guy handed me. And so this was the, okay, uh, I'll try it. Mm -hmm. What, what's the harm in saying yes to one more thing? I've already said yes to a lot. I go in for this appointment and over the next hour and a half, we didn't do any back exercises. He, without touching me, 
He just told me to do this with my left leg, put your left leg in this position. And then we're going to slowly do this with your knee. And we're going to slowly get your hip to move. Very simple, not force, nothing intense, nothing painful. And an hour and a half later, not having conversations about back pain, just how do we get this left leg to move better? I stand up and start crying. It was the mm. first time I was able to stand up without this searing, stabbing pain in my back. Mm -hmm. No drugs, no surgery, no invasive techniques. He didn't touch me. He just taught me how to do something a little different than what I was doing. That moment was like this uh, epiphany of, it was a mixed bag of emotions. Number mm -hmm. one, hell yeah, felt great. <laughs> yes to more of this. And then it was immediately followed by just anger. Like, why is this stuff not known? Why yeah. do I have to go land myself in tens of thousands of debt, uh, dollars of debt? And this guy was the last thing that was ever recommended to me through any, no system recommended this. He, he's not covered by insurance. He's just a corrective exercise guy who yeah. helps people's entire body move and feel better. That's it. There's, it's nothing wild. It's nothing crazy but it wasn't recommended at all throughout the journey. And so there was this moment of relief. And then this moment of how does the world not know about this? How, mm -hmm. how does a system let a guy like me suffer debilitatingly for uh, almost my entire twenties at this point? Mm -hmm. And here's this simple, simple therapeutic approach that had wildly insane results. And it was replicate. It was repeatable. I didn't need mm -hmm. this guy. I just needed to learn what to do. And then I went and did that every single day. Wow. And, and that's when my business started that day. Wow. So I think that's a, a great jumping off point to kind of a, a new chapter really in your life within that stuff. And, and so would you identify yourself then within corrective exercise therapy? Mm -hmm. Like that's so, so where did that go? How did that turn into a business? How, how are you where you're at right now? And what, what's your main kind of focus then? Yeah. So I was, by the time I even found that therapist in the first place, I was already years into becoming a, an actual corrective exercise specialist. I had the credentials. I had the certifications. I had the library of textbooks to tell me what to do. But none of these textbooks were applicable to the real world. Mm. They were great on paper. They were great teaching black and white principles. But you get to a guy like me with a really funky movement problem. And it's like all these rules and principles and protocols go out the window. So at that point, I was already a corrective exercise specialist. This was just a different lane within corrective exercise. It was no longer chasing joints, chasing symptoms. It was, how do we get the entire body to start moving and feeling better? It was almost like a dumbed, watered down version of what I knew. It was no gnarly academic side. It was just, that's a knee and that should probably be able to move a little better. That's a hip that should also be able to move better. And they too should be able to move better together. Well, let, here's how you go do that. Um, and so, so that's what really put me into the space of instead of trying to correct people's painful backs through corrective exercises that target the back, it mm -hmm. was, let me just help people's entire movement patterns. 
And I shifted away from this really targeted, almost physical therapy like approach mm-hmm. into if you've got shoulder pain, we're going to look at your hips. We're going to look at your knees and we're going to look at your ankles. It always deals with the entire body. Um, and that's what I started really building a hypothesis on is that the area that hurts is not really where the problem is. I started, uh, I, I deepened my one-on-one practice and got really busy really fast because this stuff worked and it spread like wildfire. I got a lot of uh, word of mouth referrals and, and that's what really kind of pushed me into my own lane and space of, of becoming a kind of a different corrective exercise specialist. Oh, uh, I mean, thank you so much for being with us and sharing this story because I think it's uh, instrumental. And I think as a, as a professor, as somebody in academia, I hear many times, you know, people say, you know, the book are telling us stuff in theory, but how do we apply this stuff? And I think what you are telling us right now is, is very similar. You, you've seen a disconnect on yourself and then you try, once you understood how to deal with it, you try to fix it. Um, but um, one, one of the things, you know, the human body is, is, is the perfect machine, right? So once you broke it, then it's, it's going to be very difficult for us uh, to, to, to go back to where it was. I, I remember my mom always telling me, you know, don't injure yourself because right now you're perfect. And then, you know, something can happen. Um, yeah. My question is uh, kind of on the side of how you learn what, what was the kind of the steps that everybody has to do to get where they need to get. Uh, in order to feel better. As you said, everybody's different. Every trauma can affect people differently. So how much there is behind that in just understanding somebody else's body, I will say, right? Rather than not your body, because you know exactly how you feel, but maybe somebody else uh, doesn't explain to you in the same way, right? So it's, I think it's, it's much more difficult than, than, than you know, taking care of ourselves. Yeah. So that's a, it's a very simple question, loaded response, and I'll try to give a couple simple answers here. So textbooks are great for learning a baseline foundation, right? They will give you the academic breakdown of why things are the way they are, especially when it comes to exercise physiology. The problem with a lot of academic books is they do not teach how to critically think through these problems. There is no if then model being taught. There is only go do this if there's this problem and this is what the solution should be. There's no, well, here's what happens if that that solution, if that protocol doesn't work, here's the three reasons why, and here's what you can then go do to go test to see if those are the reasons why. So my biggest challenge was when I read it in the academic textbooks, when you get the studies and you get the cited sources and you get the big fancy words, you almost are made to believe that is exactly what's going to happen. And it makes it very hard to open yourself up to, well, what if that book was wrong, right? You kind of have to learn the books first to then see, is that really actually what's happening in front of you right now? So it first starts with the academic foundation. But at some point, you've got to take that academic information and move into application. You have to develop your own system, your own hypothesis of how to test and retest to determine if things are helpful. In the world of business, it's by coming up with metrics. What metrics are important? How do we test them? What one variable can we change? 
And then how can we retest to see if those metrics are accurate or not? With the human body, it's the same thing. A business is a very complicated dynamic ecosystem. Same thing as a human body. It is about, first of all, establishing a baseline test. Where is this person at now? What is their motion? How are we going to test that? Is it uh, by hip degree range of motion? Is it by just perceived back pain? Is it by body position? Let's first establish a series of tests to uh, then develop a benchmark. Then we change one thing. We don't go do 20 exercises and then see if somebody's better. If it works, we don't know why. If mm. it doesn't work, we don't know why. We change one thing. I would give one exercise to somebody and retest. Is it better, worse, or the same? Their body is going to show me exactly what they need to do to fix this problem. We just have to be able to be disciplined and structured enough to look at it and say, what are we testing? How are we measuring it? What is the one variable that we're going to change to then see, are we moving in the right direction? Are we right back at the starting place? Or did we just take a couple steps back? And it was this trial and error, test and retest that I did 60 sessions a week. We're talking 240 sessions a month with people for years. There were no days off for me. It was a in the trenches business for the longest time. And having that much volume so fast and so consistent, it helped me develop this path of what we like, what is the common denominator between all of us? Every person I saw was so insanely different. They were so unique. They all had their own completely unique combination of movement pattern. Everybody's movement problem was different and exactly the same. Mm. They all required the same path out of it. No matter how extreme, no matter how isolated somebody felt, no matter how abandoned somebody felt, we all came back to this place of, well, we all have a very shared common design of the human body. And it needs some really basic principles to start moving and feeling better. And my method was extracting those principles and then teaching them to people at scale. That's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, and actually the, the craziest part of this is that this pretty much is research, right? Like it's like the designing something that is scalable and generalizable and identifying principle and methods that don't, don't only apply to Ross or Biagio or another listener, but they can be work for everybody. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. And yeah, it's scientists, it's not yeah, entrepreneurship. You, you, you're a scientist. You, yeah. You, you, you are a scientist. You observe people and you understood and, and you extract and abstract something to a different level than the individual human being. So that's, yeah, you, you are a scientist. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's, you know, that's how you move away from, uh, again, I think it's important that we're all taught at least the same baseline of information so we can all have the same starting point. But at some point, you've got to deepen your craft and you've got to have a little bit of that it's hard to say because we're in the medical realm and you don't get paid to fear away from your scope of work. You get paid to do exactly what that textbook tells you to do, mm -hmm. but are the textbooks right? Mm 
Yeah. And Maybe. And I want to say something like uh, to you. I'm not. I'm not in the health field uh, whatsoever. But it's not something new that after 30 years or more data collection and more data available, they found that some theory or some some other uh, principle that before were thought as like, oh, this is like two plus two. That you have to do this to be successful. Were found actually to be wrong because like the data were not collected in a rigorous way. So it's it's all evolving. Science is evolving. Research is evolving and. And, and, and I agree with you, you, you cannot just conform uh, and you need to find your way to understand stuff before being able to solve problems for others, so. Yeah, there was um, 40, now 43 years ago, there was a study, uh, I believe it was at Michigan State University. And they looked at what happened with the knee when the knee would go past the toes when squatting. So when the, knee would, when the knee would move forward of the toe line when squatting, these researchers, these scientists found that knee pressure, knee force and knee tension, it jumped up, right? It was elevated. And from this one study, they said, well, if knee pressure increases when the knee moves past the toe, then in order to protect our knee joint, nobody should move past the toes. Knees should not move over the toes. That was adopted in most modern curriculum. Most trainers, most uh, Pilates instructors, most movement coaches were taught your knees should not go over past your toes. It wasn't until, don't quote me on these dates, I think it was 2003 that researchers looked at what happens to the lower back and the hip when your knee doesn't go over your toes. And what those researchers found was in order to prevent the knee from going over the toe, the torque and the pressure in the lower back and hip increased by 1000%. So here we have a study, original study 40 years ago that says this, in order to make your knees feel better, don't move them past the toes, but it forgot about the rest of the body. It didn't take a look at disc pressure increasing 1000%. So in order to save our knees, we literally screwed our lower backs over and we, we trained ourselves into hip problem and we trained ourselves into really bad human biomechanics because a study got it wrong. And that study was in the mainstream culture for 30 years. So much so that people who have not veered away from that original textbook are still training for people not to have their knees go over their toes. So you got, you got to be able to observe and see what is natural and how do we, how can we honor what the studies are saying, but also question them? Mm-hmm. Were they actually complete studies? Mm-hmm. Vinny, this is, these things, I think it goes to the heart of, of our medical system as a, as a country, specifically in America, when, when I think we have this idea that it's a, shining city on the hill when it comes to technology and robotics laser you know some of the Mm -hmm. groundbreaking technology within it but then we also are completely missing some of the most essential basic things that come from more of a um, preventative type care model instead of just hey symptomatics throw pills at it and 
here's a prescription move on. I'm, I'm very impressed with, with that kind of mentality that you're bringing with it. And I think that's going to continue as we, as we see things growing more and more up. Uh, it, it sounded like to me that you were, like you said, you were entrenched doing one-on-ones, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Has, has that shifted for you within your business to try and reach more people uh, without that, that one-on-one, or is that still primarily where you're at just kind of more on the business side of stuff? Yeah. I actually shut down my private practice. I want to say two, two-ish okay. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I got tired of, I'm only one person. I can mm-hmm. only help based on my, my entire practice, the only way I was providing value was by spending one of my hours to help somebody else spend one of their hours to learn information. It was, there was a ceiling to it. I mean, I literally maxed out. I couldn't do more than 60 sessions a week at, at 29 years old. My income potential was literally probably at the height it was ever going to be at unless I just charged a ridiculous amount per session. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess that's what people do. Cause once you reach the ceiling, you got to find out how to make more somehow, mm-hmm. but the answer wasn't price gouging one-on-one sessions. It was, uh, how do I give people this information who I don't have time for? I don't want to just say, no, I can't help you. Sorry. You're in a different state. Good luck. I hope you find somebody else. It's like, no, I just need to give them this information. Mm-hmm. And that's what moved my business towards being 100% digital. Everything was online. I had to hire um, a couple of people to follow me around my personal private practice and take notes. What are the things that I'm doing that are consistent with everybody? What are the things that are inconsistent with everybody? I had to kind of get a sounding board to help me develop what is the actual process here. This isn't I'm not the mechanism that's healing people. I'm not the thing that's changing these people's lives. It's the process. It's the things that are being taught. It's the skills and the habits, the information that's being taught. It's not about me. I'm just delivering that information to these people. Mm-hmm. So what is the information? What is, where is the value here? Why, these people are paying top dollar for something. What are they actually paying for? They're paying for information. Well, why the hell am I just teaching that to one person at a time? Mm-hmm. Made no sense. And that's what pushed me towards a radically different physical therapy model of getting this information online. Hey, so you, you spend, well, you go through what I would say is, is a life altering experience with your injury. Then you shuffle around literally and figuratively trying to understand who you are then you go get this information this education again still searching for that stuff you you figure out the results you have that 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 final essence there and then you have to do something with it again and you have to shift again and change again that had to be i don't know i i feel like there, there had to be something just again, 
like persistence or or something there or even frustration to to kind of say all right I'm I'm having to change again and and I feel like you're a really good example of a, of adapting to a lot of unforeseen changes and, and and now shifting more to kind of a a business professional an entrepreneur rather than maybe that healer and that and that kind of person that's there one on one doing that stuff uh, What's that been like as you're shifting from more of what I would identify as your passion to more of saying, okay, now I have to learn these other skills that might not be um, something that you specifically set out to do as that that entrepreneur and that that business person? Does that make any sense? I'm sorry, Vinny. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, do, it does make sense. Uh, it, it's been challenging because I love helping people. Yeah. The one-on-one -on -one business was the most fulfilling because yes. it was a direct measurable way for me to see and fulfill my purpose and passion. Um, but it was inconsistent with what my mission and vision was. Remember uh, that, that day that I felt better, I was happy, but pissed off that this information is not readily accessible. That was the mission. The mission yeah. is to get this information to as many people as possible. 60 sessions a week was not living and staying true to that mission. So there was the death of ego. I felt like the man. I felt like the man having a private business booked out six months in advance. Everybody's paying $250 an hour. I was, I was good. I was set, but it was incomplete to the mission of what I needed to go do. And what's been really hard is the, the stuff that I'm passionate about, the science, the academic side of things, the actual working with people and seeing them through these, these massive mental, physical, and emotional barriers, that doesn't happen anymore in my business. I'm not involved in that process anymore. The program does that. I need, and I've struggled to fall in love with, how do I like marketing? Mm -hmm. How do I like video production? How do I like content creation? How can I understand systems and structures and business models and process? Uh, how can we lower client acquisition costs? How blah, blah. I mean, all of this information is stuff that I don't like, mm -hmm. but it's moving me towards the mission of if I want to be the best damn corrective exercise specialist I can be, I need to adapt and learn business. That is where this mission and vision actually gets fulfilled. So it's, it's a little bit of, you know, can you kind of BS yourself in saying, well, the more I fall in love with being an entrepreneur, the more my original mission gets hit. And it, it's not a direct link there yet. I'm still having conversations daily of, of uh, this is the right way to do this. This, this is the path to do this. Um, if you bring me a spine with scoliosis or herniations, I'm going to tell you the five exact steps that you need to go do to resolve this. If you tell me we need to lower our customer acquisition costs by a dollar and improve our retention from 30 days to 60 days, these are things that as a corrective exercise specialist don't know. I got to go figure that out. And, and that's hard. It's hard being a specialist in one thing, but knowing in order to make that successful, you have to know the other things you have to. And my personal experience with business right now is answering the question that I had set out that I first asked, why don't people know this stuff? Because 
the guys who do know it are not entrepreneurs. I, I mean, I, I want to jump on this just because like you raise a lot of interesting point in my, my opinion. And, and, and I think there are a couple of questions that I have about it. Uh, of course, like, you know, scalability was one of your limitations. You only have or can work that many times, uh, that many hours per day or that many days per week. Uh, and so do, going digital is, is clearly a successful um, idea. I just wonder, like, and I know you get this a lot, uh, you know, that one-on-one -on -one relationship, your ability to observe people one-on-one -on -one and see exactly if they are doing the exercise you're suggesting correctly, if they are moving exactly the way they should move, because that has an impact on how they uh, see the benefit, right, or even the step. How do you um, kind of... In your new online session or virtual session, you enforce that and you make sure that happened. And then on, uh, this was my first question. And, and then the other question is kind of a follow up on that. And, uh, you know, as you said, like you are definitely somebody that likes to learn. Uh, I think you are a scientist because you, you want to learn, you have, even from the entrepreneurial side of things, right? You need to learn the business uh, in, uh, in order to make it work and you say other people that know those stuff that they don't know how to know the business i just wonder if uh they are not willing to share that knowledge because they can charge more than what you are charging and still be happy or because they don't know that maybe sometimes you don't have to know both world or you can also like join with somebody that is good at something else and found a company that's kind of hybrid where you take your know-how your knowledge and and there is somebody else that bring their knowledge and you kind of like share and yeah do an hybrid version of the two words um so first of all it's all about being adaptable mm -hmm. i had a one-on-one -on -one business and people were only doing their routines because i was poking them every day mm -hmm. texting me when you're done with your routine people were coming into my private practice relying on me to tell them if they're doing something right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a very good business, is it? That puts me in the position of power. That's a problem. It's such a problem that if I were to take a vacation, everybody's going to stop making progress. People wouldn't trust their bodies. People wouldn't trust the fact that they should be the ones to regulate their motion. People should be able to do this without me. Despite my success with my private practice, I realized I was at the center of my problems. I was the center of the problem. If I was actually going to help people, it's about thinking beyond myself. What is the bigger picture here? People's first objection is, uh, Vinny, I don't know if I'm going to do the exercises right in the program. That's the problem. You don't trust your body. I have built a system that's going to help you trust your body again. Every exercise, every cue, every position, every camera angle, every order of everything that I teach has been to solve that problem is how do you do this and feel comfortable, confident, and secure that you are doing it right. We have become so reliant on other people telling us about our bodies that that's one of the reasons why chronic issues don't change is because we'll believe somebody else about ourselves rather than closing our eyes and figuring out what is our nervous system actually telling us? What is the position of my body? What 
proprioceptive sensory feedback am I tapping into? And the answer is, if I'm telling you, hey, that's right, no, that's wrong, you're not developing anything. You're just relying on me to change it. So in people's concerns, in people's objections and questions lies the answer of what your business needs to evolve into. The fear of doing it wrong pushed me to make a system that can't be done wrong. Wow. That, that, that takes care of the first question, right? Because if it's pretty much you can fail, then, and, and as you said at the beginning, like motivation and personal motivation is also a big component of that. Like if you have to, you were not doing any exercise outside when you were going to a physician or stuff like that, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of the problem. So I, you are kind of empowering people in taking control of their own body. And I think everybody can learn better how to use their body, even people that are not coming from any trauma. Yeah, because nothing changes yeah. unless that commitment is there. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to commit to me and our sessions. You're going to quit that commitment the moment my life changes or the moment your life changes. Mm-hmm. I need you to commit to yourself. And that's what my program teaches people how to do. We're not committing to a weight loss goal. We're not committing to becoming pain-free. We are committing to staying pain-free. We are committing to a quality of life that is beyond sessions with a trainer. It's beyond appointments. It's beyond somebody else keeping you accountable. This is about you as a human being, a system that is trying to teach you to commit to yourself because you're the only one that can do it. You are the expert that you've been looking for. Nothing's going to change until you realize that. Absolutely nothing. Now, the second part of your question, um, I think the people who, my mentors who know this stuff, who really early on taught me about the body, the, the things that I now teach people in bigger ways, um, I, I think it takes... It, it just takes a bigger vision than they had. And it's not to say, you know, their vision uh, was small. It's just, it served them and that's fine. And that's all their vision served. Yes. Yes. They were helping people, but the vision is to just make their life as comfortable as possible. Having a vision and mission bigger than yourself is uncomfortable and it's hard and it takes a lot of sacrifice a one-on-one -on -one business, it does take sacrifice, but not that much. Hmm. Once, once you're good at what you do, once you hmm. have people who know who you are, show up. That's all it takes. And sometimes that's hard to do. I, I recognize that. It was hard for me to show up some weeks, but <laughs> it's there. It's not really going away. You've got referrals. You have word of mouth. You've got a brick and mortar. People know you and it a lot of these things kind of become on autopilot. Um, that's where it really kind of takes that, that deeper conversation of, of what do you want your role to be in this world? And, and where do you see yourself in that? Um, and mine was always big. It was, it was way bigger than, than one-on-one. -on -one. I, I think, I think honestly, this reconnects with what you say at the beginning, right? The, the swimming pool, you were an athlete, professional athlete, and at one point swimming become boring. And that's the same thing. You work very hard to get very good at something and get your name out there. But then, as you said, it's like pretty much, okay, I know what I'm doing now. And I know I can still make money because people are still looking for me. But it's the same routine over and over. And you clearly have something like a passion to do more. 
that 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 brought you to a different direction at that point, right? Yeah, and 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 also, I mean, you know, just because numbers and and finances, it's easy to talk about because it's it's pretty concrete. You know, when you're in business for yourself and you just start out, everybody kind of has their own milestones, but it's man, I can't wait until I make a thousand dollars a month. Oh my god. That's going to be sweet because I'm only making 600 a month at my job now. A thousand bucks a month. I've made it, baby. <laughs> but then you make a thousand and it's like, well, maybe that's not as much money as I thought it was. Five thousand. I can't wait until I make five thousand a month. And then you do that. And each time you get, and then it's 10 and then it's 50 and then it's a hundred. And it, it, each of these little moments that you kind of work towards, you get there and you realize there's another peak that you weren't even thinking of, but you can now see it because you're now at a new level. And that's one of the wild things uh, that I think, um, Russ, you talk about is like, is it persistence? Is it commitment? I think it's just when you get, when you do what you want to do, you get to kind of see things that you weren't seeing when you were at base camp, wanting mm -hmm. to do that thing at the first place, you get there and you realize I can make five grand a month. Can mm -hmm. I do 50? What does 50 feel like? And then, and then you go do that. And then 50 is not enough. And that's a whole other different conversation, but then, <laughs> then you get to like a hundred and, and, and you, you keep climbing these ladders. You keep bringing yourself uh, to new heights and you see things from new heights that you were not able to see when you were walking at sea level. I have, I have one more question and then I'll leave it to Russ because he's perfect at closing our episode all the time. One of the research area and information system that I start to see and I, I'm actually passionate about is uh, becoming a solopreneur, right? So the, what is so-called the creator economy. And I think technology does a lot nowadays to enable this kind of people that uh, are not that good in running business and not that good in accounting, but they have a specific skills, they have a specific talent. Uh, and I'm referring to website like Upwork, for example, right? mm -hmm. where people just offer their services um, what is the role of technology in what you're doing right now? And do you kind of recommend this type of path uh, with people that have kind of like some, some type of skills that they can, can be sellable and scalable to, to anybody else? Yeah, so I've heavily relied on Upwork. Okay. Heavily. Um, my, I know what I know. I'm good at what I do but there's a lot that I don't know. And I think I have the aptitude if I had the time, energy, money, and resources to become decent or good at most things. But this is where Upwork comes in handy because you don't have to be a master of all trade anymore. You don't have to be a well-rounded entrepreneur. Find out what you're passionate at, Make sure you love doing what you love doing and then go to Upwork and find the people who can help you build what you want to go do. Absolutely. I don't need to be a CRM master. I don't <laughs> need to understand web development, but I'm going to go hire the guys that do. And those guys aren't running their own business. They're just web developers doing isolated contracts for guys like me. Absolutely. And they're making a killing doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think the the... I think the landscape of business is changing. You don't need to have this massive overhead with tons of employees. I've 
independently contracted certain people who are really good at what they do to fill this one particular part in my business. And then I'll go to Upwork and find another, and then another, and then another. And all of a sudden you've got a team of 15 or 20 contractors who are all really good at what they do, that just one thing. And you don't need to manage them. You don't need to worry about the other stresses that come with employment. They just get to show up and bring their best gift and skill set. And you just have to kind of manage, manage the end result of that. So um, I'm positive the business that I run would not have been a viable thing 20 years ago. There's no way. Yeah. If I was the same guy 20 years ago that I am now, I don't think I would have had the resources and the access to the people that I now have access to that have made this into the business and company that it is today. I mean, you probably should have had some business partners and, you know, share some of the quotes of your company in order to achieve that, or even found a company, as you said, like that's, that's actually the point I was trying to make is nowadays you don't need to work for a company. If you have a talent, you can, you can be the solopreneur, you can be an entrepreneur, of yourself and you don't need to learn all, everything about all the different business functions if you really you don't have you you don't i i think the what is helpful is learning enough to then be able to vet out so one of my biggest challenges was i don't know anything about web design and development i know how to use an email account <laughs> i know how to use facebook and instagram but web development, I had no idea. But the mistake I made as a young entrepreneur is I didn't even know the questions to ask mm. to see if this person even was a good fit. Mm. So it, where, where my deficiency was and where my area of opportunity was at the start was I was going blindly into, I don't even know what I need. I don't know what the right questions are to ask. Um, but this is where learning how to adapt really comes in handy. Um, because you learn very fast through interviews, who knows what they're doing and who doesn't know what they're doing. If you can learn the right questions to ask. If you don't know what you need or how to, uh, get to the point, you, you can't even hire the right person. So it's, it's always at least have a understanding knowledge of things. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, one of my first interviews for a web developer, I explained to him what my business was and what I had. I still had no idea what a web developer was. And I said, all right, so what do your first 90 days look like? <laughs> and he's like, well, first we set up this and then we set up that and then we do that. So now I know the process. So now I can use that process and I go ask other people, what do your 90 days look like? If they don't have that process dialed in, I now know the first guy was pretty damn good at what he was doing. <laughs> and I'm asking questions about these different. So it's like the, the people will, will lead you the people will guide you if you just know how to listen to them. Wow. Vinny, I, I'm, I'm truly blown away by this conversation and everything that, that you're doing here. And I want to, I want to end this conversation on what I think is probably one of the most important parts of it. And, and it's um, how people can, can reach you and, and truly get a hold of you because I, I think more people than than we see, than, than, than people even acknowledge or talk about are, are in pain and are, are physically hurting within these things. So um, if, if someone's listening and they, they really are interested in what, what your services are, how do, they, how do they get a hold of you? So literally the best thing to do is to just get the program. Go to painacademy.net, get started with something called the pain assessment toolkit. I've 
built this really simple at-home way to test your movement and from there enroll in the movement program. The process, the systems, the order, the structure, the strategy and techniques, everything is there for you. I have poured my life into this. All you have to do is go get started. Go to painacademy.net. You can follow me on any of the social channels at Pain Academy. I'm there for you. My team's here for you. You just got to take action. Perfect. Vinny, thank you so much. And for all of our listeners, I'm going to uh, post the links to that on, on our, on our episode here. So feel free to look for that in the description again, Vinny, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being a, a guest on the gateway. Of course. I'd love to come back anytime you guys will have me. For sure. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today. Today.